the point of research in, in this way is to draw out those stories. And that's why I've called it Lilac Stories rather than the Lilac Impact Project or something like that, because I don't want to just talk about the impact. I want to see it as a story. Welcome to Chatting Info Lit, an information literacy podcast for new library and information professionals produced for the SILIP Information Literacy Group. In this series, we talk to new professionals and those who have been in the profession a bit longer about where they started and the projects they've been involved with. In this episode, I'll be chatting with Jess Haig, an academic librarian at Leeds Beckett University. We'll be talking about her ongoing project, Lilac Stories. Hi Jess, thank you for joining us on today's episode of Chatting Infolit. Thank you very much for inviting me. More than welcome. So we're going to be focusing on your project that you're running in um, relation to Lilac. But before we get into that, I'd like to ask you a bit more about um, how you came into the librarianship profession. (laughs) Well, like everybody else, it it was completely by accident. I left university in 2006 and then... My first degree was in creative writing. Uh, did nothing with that at all. Although I do say it's to be in good stead for the writing I'm doing now. I got a part-time job as a library assistant in an FE college. And I've always been very lucky in that I've always had very, very good managers who have supported me and pushed me. And my boss at the time said, you could do this. You should do this for a living. And she said to me, go and do the master's, you know, get qualified. And I was very lucky in that I was given time in that job to complete my master's part-time through distance learning. I did that over a long time. (laughs) I got the job as assistant librarian in 2010 and then I completed my master's in 2014. So I did have a long time of completing that through distance learning. And that was at the University of Northumbria. I was very involved in the new professionals. I did a lot of things with SILIP, went to a lot of new professional events, got opportunities to, to go to new professional events from down in London in SILIP and yeah just absolutely loved it, found the community really um, friendly and welcoming and supportive and like I said I've, my boss was brilliant at pushing me and telling me to go for things. I got to present at a conference with some work that I did at my FE college and Lilac that was the first conference I, that I went to and I went for um, a day presented a short paper and just being at that conference and looking around and meeting all these people I was like this is what I want to do be part of this this community and what they do and the work they did was incredibly inspiring I saw a keynote by Project Information Literacy and was just absolutely blown away by the work that they were doing and the uh, impact it was having on not just the students that were part of that project but on the wider profession and I thought that's what I want to be part of. In 2015, I applied for and got my first HE post, and that was at the University of Huddersfield. And then yeah. from there, you went on to the University of Leeds Lee? Beckett. Yes. Yeah. So Beckett. I now I moved from Huddersfield to Leeds Beckett in 21. Uh, so I've, yeah. I've I've been here since at Leeds Beckett University since May 2021. And you said you were quite involved in new professionals things when you started out. That's really interesting because obviously this podcast comes from a new professionals mm. group from the ILG. So I'd be not, I'd be nice to hear your kind of experiences with it. My generation, I mean, I'm in, I'm 38 now, and my generation of librarians, as you were, that kind of graduated a similar time of me, like yourselves and your group, were very proactive. There was a group called the New Library Professionals Network, which was run by um, four 
librarians that graduated from Manchester Met and they were incredibly proactive as bringing us together and doing training and supporting and learning about the profession. We had Twitter back then that worked <laughs> and, and we could meet each other and, and I met a lot of people who are now very good friends of mine that way. We started lots of little networks and there was lots of training and conferences and talks and it was just a really good way of solidifying a professional community that was supportive and wasn't competitive. We were all supporting each other rather than fighting each other for space, which I really liked. Yeah, I found the exact same thing. It doesn't feel like we're competing. It never Mm. it never does in this profession. It always feels like we're trying to like share and and support and lift. I, I think that's a nice way of approaching it thinking about that professional lifting each other up kind of mm. brings us on nicely mm. there we go my impressive little segue there that was a nice into, little segue thank there, you Ellen. i'm very pleased <laughs> with myself into talking about your current project where you're looking at lilac would you be able to sum up what you're what you're up to at the moment with that so i am on the conference committee for the lilac conference lilac is one of the biggest if not the biggest information literacy focused conference in the uk it attracts delegates from around the world next year is its 20th anniversary so what I wanted to do was think about the impact the conference has had on the wider profession I've been to a lot of conferences in my time and I've always found Lilac to be the place where I felt most inspired most supported had the most fun um, and also got the most out of it in terms of what I've learned from my day job but trying to quantify that in order to show the reasons that you should send people to Lilac because it is expensive and there's a lot of sectors that don't have the money or the time to send their people to a three-day conference. However, the justification for that is often it isn't worth it. What this research is trying to show is the impact that attending Lilac has had on people and the profession. So Lilac Stories is a long-term research project which I'm principal investigator for. I launched it at the Lilac Conference in University of Cambridge in April 23. The purpose of it is to find out what's Lilac's story. What has happened to the people coming to the conference, people involved in the conference organising, what have they taken back to their workplaces or what have they used themselves professionally and how has that grown our profession? Not just in terms of the theory of information literacy, but the practice as well. So has it had an impact on our day to day teaching? Has it had an impact on our institutions and their policies and their practices? And also has it as an impact as a professionally, personally, our CPD, our own um, thoughts and feelings towards what we do? And the personal stories that come up through that, the impact that I'm hoping the project will have will firstly be able to say this is what attending a conference does not just for individuals but for the community that conference represents but also hopefully give people who might struggle to convince their managers or people who hold the 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 purse strings that conference attendance is vital if we want to grow as a profession and being in the same room together sometimes virtually but in the case of lilac physically it makes a huge difference to us as people and also as professionals and we need to embrace that and celebrate it but also know what that purpose is and another piece of research what I'm trying to do is find themes that are coming up from what I'm learning from other people's lilac stories 
so that I can write a, a longer piece on conference attendance and, and what it does for us and what it can do for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. You're doing kind of interviews, is that right, mm-hmm. for this? You're yeah, kind of interviewing yeah. people there's, about their Lilac experiences? Yeah, there's loads of different ways I'm gathering data for this. It's quite a big project, so I wanted to come at it from lots of different angles. I'm doing a big literature review of papers around conference attendance more generally. I'm also looking at conference reports for, that have been published uh, in the grey literature. Um, I am examining um, people's reflections so people can um, send me their reflections on their attendance of Lilac. That doesn't have to be, you know, all Lilac is brilliant and it's amazing. I'd rather have people be honest because this is research and I need to have honest feedback. I'm gathering those reflections. They can be completely anonymised if people wish. I'm doing that through the Lilac website. I'm also asking people if they were willing to be interviewed to have a longer conversation about their Lilac story. Uh, so I can really dig in to the moments that stand out for them as as contributing to their professional journey. You're collecting lots of different data to kind of yeah. see, OK, this is the impact that Lilac has had. That's your kind yeah. of ties into what I was going to ask next, really. So what impact do you <laughs> hope to have? It sounds like you want to sort of show how, how people have been changed yeah. by that experience. Is that kind of me? Interpreting yeah, I mean, it right? that's kind of what I'm finding is mm. that um, people have been changed by the experience. I mean, obviously, I can't go into massive amounts of detail because of ethics. Yes, and that's one thing to say as well. This this research project that I have, I have got ethical approval for my institution. I have a research data management plan. Um, I have participant information that's available through the website. I am trying to do this as properly as possible because I do believe that research should be rigorous. And, you know, I am an academic librarian, um, so I support researchers myself, so I should do the research properly, really. From preliminary interviews and the reading that I've done, um, I think that the biggest impact that conference attendance generally has on professions is knowledge acquisition. So learning, fact finding, but also inspiration and rejuvenation. And that can be tied to knowledge acquisition. So the idea that learning from other people can inspire a change in practice and have an effective impact on your work. And that could just be as simple as learning the vocabulary from attending a conference that actually backs up ideas that you might already have in your own head, but you couldn't articulate because you didn't have the vocabulary to do that. Once you've got that vocabulary and you can learn and do your citation search, you can feed forward and find all this information out and then you can synthesise that information yourself and that can um, change to a great impact practice and then the third thing of course is the network and the community building so the social impact of conferences so this could be making friends um, having fun but also the sense of giving back to your community so if you present at a conference and your work does feed forward into others perk you might not find out that that's done that that quite a lot of people will present at a conference and because conference metrics don't happen in the same ways if you write a journal article you're cited and what have you we don't have alt metrics related to conferences so you you can't see how many times that your paper has um, changed the way that some you know you might have demonstrated using Kahoot in a session and three people in that room have gone off and used that later you don't know that they were the person that came from unless they tell you but you have given back to your community in such a might seem such a small way but that might have really changed somebody's teaching and as you know every single time you teach a group there's one person in the room whose life you're changing in that session just that one conference short paper that you gave could have impacted hundreds if not thousands of lives and you'll never know that because this this research hasn't been done. There's several things we definitely have incorporated into our practice Mm -hmm. from coming out of Lilac and 
you wouldn't think to go and tell that person like hey you said something in a certain way and I now use that exact phrasing when I'm describing it them not knowing the impact that you've had on them could make a difference to them gaining professional recognition quite a lot of um, the letters that you get after your name are based on you being able to prove that you have had impact in the sector. So if you're doing an FHEA, for example, you have to show that you've uh, made a difference to a teaching practice or what have you. If you're doing for senior fellowship, it has to be wider ranging. If you're going for something like National Teaching Fellow, you have to evidence the fact that you have changed the way that people teach. And unless you can actually go to everybody in your session and go, can you just please let me know <laughs> if you use anything I've said? It's harder to quantify than it is, say, if you've written a blog or you've written a journal article and you have got those citations that you can follow forward. You've got to remember that although the teaching that we do can be quite disparate, it can be quite dispiriting if you're doing one shot teaching and you've got 50 minutes and you're in lecture theatre and you've got to teach all the library stuff. But, you know, you're literally changing somebody's life, even if it's just one person in the room. Stephen Brookfield says this in his Teaching Reflections books that you're not teaching to the room you're teaching to that person and that's the same with a conference paper you know even if it's if you're sitting there thinking I just talked at people for half an hour and I said nothing of importance you still talked at them you still gave them that information there's going to be one person in the room who is going to take that away with them yeah. and that's all you can do. Yeah and it's even things like delivery as well like I'm mm-hmm. just thinking back to a, um, one of the things I saw at Lilac I don't know the person's name but they did mm-hmm. a, a panel on, the, on the AI and I found mm-hmm. the, the way that they spoke I really liked how uh, how engaging they were when I listened to them speak and now I find myself using similar mannerisms when I'm doing some of my teaching sessions so it's that kind of intangible quality sometimes can really have that impact as well. Yeah we learn better from others and I think that Lilac's a great place to see some of the best teachers I've ever seen present and some of the most inspiring keynotes that I mean I my my entire practice changed because of stuff I've seen at Lilac and that's what I wanted to to evidence in this research. So coming back to the research element one thing I'm always curious about is coming into research and how you actually go about getting to the point of conducting it. As librarians, I feel like we're often encouraged to do research, but not always given the practical information of like how. How mm. how do you go from that point of like not being somebody who's doing any research to somebody <laughs> who is doing research? So I just wondered if you could speak about that a little bit. It's hard because I am very privileged. I work full time. Um, I'm able-bodied. I'm white. I'm a woman. I look exactly like the, the the statistics of the SILIP workforce you know I am tick 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 so I have to acknowledge that I am in a position where I have power to be able to just do stuff and get away with it a bit to say anyone can do research is not acknowledging the fact that quite a lot of people are not in the position where they have the privilege of just being able to do it um, and ask for permission afterwards I think the most important thing to do is think about how to do it properly with rigor as you said quite a lot of people are told oh go and do a research project you wouldn't just do a phd you know you wouldn't just be like oh i'm just going to apply for a 20 grand grant and go off and do it my first thing would be like what is your question and why is that your question why do you want to find out what you want to find out about what is your aim for that research what is your question what is your thesis really think about what it is you want to know and why do you want to know it if you want to know like how many students use the library every day? Well, why? Why does that matter? You know, if you want to know how many students use the library every day and how does that impact on their att- their attainment, that's different. 
that's a different question but then are you looking at causality or could you know there's lots of different things to think about with your research secondly it's method methods learn your methodologies is it appropriate to do that research using that method do you have access to all the information you need um, and if not how do you get it if you want to know as i said about i don't know book loans can you access the user data? Do you have privilege to to access those sorts of statistics? And what would you do with those statistics when you once you've got them? What is the purpose of having those? Rigor also means thinking about things in ethical reasons. Ethics is basically do no harm. I don't think that we think enough about the ethics of our research within the profession because we're thinking well we just we're librarians you know we're not going to harm anybody by asking them about their information use but if you're asking somebody to talk about their use of information and their digital technologies we live in a racist society and that could be extremely triggering and harmful not enough is known about how that impacts people's day-to-day -day lives using these technologies every day that they are forced into using because of the world for, for lilac stories, I was really aware that for some people going to a conference is extremely hard and a worrying process that can put them in an extreme state of vulnerability. They're exposing themselves to a lot of people they don't know. Often they have to travel to a different city. They have to put themselves in financial restraint. So I'm conscious that when I'm asking for people's lilac stories, my positionality as who I am, my career, my attempt you know as being a conference um committee member i don't want to cause anyone harm by asking them to tell me a story where they were made to feel vulnerable made to feel exposed i think that it's important that we do find out those stories as well so that we as a profession can improve our access and can improve like how we share things professionally because i think that would be just as useful yeah. as, the, as the good stuff um so yeah think about your ethics think about your research data how you're going to gather your data think about how you're going to manage that data afterwards and talk to your research teams and if if you're working in university i found speaking to my research support team in my institution incredibly valuable because they could talk me through the process of research data management fair dealing how i can store things afterwards having that conversation with somebody who knew more than me was very valuable just to get a list of like right what do i need to do for this to be actually good and then taking the time to do it mark yourself out time speak to your managers say this is what my project is if you need money ask your manager where can I get funding for this I have not got any funding for Lila stories at the moment because I haven't needed any however I know that if I were to need money for the dissemination of the project for example there are places I can go for funding the information literacy group provides support and funding for projects um, related to information literacy for example um, and within your own institutions, you may have pockets of funding available to do little impact projects or to do small scale research projects um, that, that that can even buy out your time. And managers should be supporting that um, as well. You know, go to your manager and say, I want to buy out two hours a week to do a literature review or two hours a week to do interviews or what have you. That should be possible. You know, we, we should be supporting this. And it's not always. It's, it depends on your institution. But, you know, at least have that conversation and see what you can do. But don't don't think that you've got to do it all on your own. When I was at University of Huddersfield, I was part of a team doing research into the students use of our library spaces. Um, and that was a really big group of us that were doing it 
I think there was four of us that ended up writing the paper on it, three librarians and then somebody who was an academic who came in to support us in the research and methodology process. So, you know, you are not just one person, you're part of a bigger team. Is there other academics that you can collaborate with? Even a PhD student, you know, who's looking to start a small scale research project, could you collaborate with that? So yeah, getting getting started on research is really, really scary. I'm the sort of person though, I find a big blank piece of paper really, really inspiring rather than terrifying, but I know not everybody does. Just put some marks on the paper and just get on with it. <laughs> I, I think that's some, some excellent advice. You've kind of broken it down in a really nice way. I find that like a, you know, you've kind of given almost a, a step by step and you're completely right as well about the research support team. Like they are people who deal with researchers in terms of like the day and day of, of, of what they're doing. I mean, it's their job. Yeah. You know? well, this is it. like, if they came to me and be like, yo, can you show me how Google Scholar works? I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's what I do. <laughs> so, you know, it goes both ways. It's fine. It's fine to ask the question. Nobody's All they can do is say no. Well, exactly, exactly. I would like to ask you about your lilac story because ah. I, I think that it would be interesting <laughs> to hear. So if you don't mind. Hey, no, not yours. at all. Okay. I went to my first lilac, as I said, was a day in 2014. It was at Sheffield. Never been to a conference before never really been to a professional event like that before it was quite scary I was presenting a paper a short paper 20 minutes and I'd done presentations and things before and, I, and you know I did I've done a lot of public speaking um but yeah it was quite scary but as I said loved it found the keynote incredible I met so many people that like I met on Twitter before you know in the previous four years and it was a little bit like oh yes we exist we're all real in 2015 when I got the job at Huddersfield I was asked if I wanted to go the next year 2016 which was in Dublin that was the first time I'd been for the full three days again incredibly privileged to be able to have that experience it was incredible I was presenting a paper in that conference with my then boss Andy Walsh Andrew Walsh who is a very well-known figure in the information literacy scene and um, so yeah I went for the, for the three days in Dublin had a fab time. I went with Laura Woods, who is the is she vice chair? She's something chair of the information literacy group, and is is phenomenal. Is now doing a PhD and does amazing things. And we had a great time. I saw a lot of inspiring talks, met a lot of inspiring people, and at the end of that, was just utterly convinced this is what I want to do. And then the next year, the committee put out a call for new committee members. So I obviously applied. <laughs> My first job on the committee in 2017, which was Swansea, was sponsorship manager. So I was in charge of going around to all of the publishers and being like, can you give us some money and we'll give you a table? Um, and I was rubbish at that because I'm not very good at talking to corporate people. Our current sponsorship of us, uh, Elizabeth Brookbank, is much better and is fabulous as well. And I also met her through Lilac. And then 2017, I saw, again, so many papers that were talking about stuff that was just so inspiring, talking about creating library guides for further understanding Black Lives Matter, you know, talking about feminist library praxis, reflexive praxis, praxis as a word, you know, it was just incredible. And then Aaron Carberry did his keynote and it was just boom, that's it, world changed. Um, Alan Carberry's keynote was about filter bubbles and teaching to the person and their experience and that year I was doing my PGCE 
at Huddersfield and my PGCHE I should say and through that I was doing a lot of reflections on critical instance with my teaching how I can turn this model of one-shot teaching where you don't really see them into something that's meaningful for the people in the room at that time and Alan Carberry's way of expressing his work and the institution he works with how they talk to, to the students about their own experience they came on it from their level it really inspired me to look up critical librarianship critical information literacy critical pedagogies more generally as I said I was doing my PGCHE at the time so it was kind of nicely slotted it was a perfect moment where these two, two things combined my entire worldview changed because of that I found a purpose in the job that I hadn't realized was there and on the back of that and on the back of some of the connections I made at that lilac Elizabeth obviously been the, the most obvious one I ended up speaking to a, a book publisher and saying I want to write a book how do I do that three years later me and Elizabeth published three innovative libraries press our, our, our co-edited critical library pedagogies in practice which is open access and you can you know find it on google scholar if you search for my name I've got all my publications there most of them are open access so you can just find them including all my my first lilac presentations as well Lilac's been transformative to me. I went on maternity leave in 2019. I think I'd, I found out I was pregnant maybe three days before that conference. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that was fun. Uh, <laughs> trying to like discreetly not drink and trying to throw up in a corner somewhere <laughs> where nobody could see. Uh, but yeah, it, it, so 2020, when Lilac didn't happen, I was on maternity leave. Everybody crashed my maternity leave. It was very, very rude of you all. That was my year off. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone got a year off instead. <laughs> I know. What's this? Like, so rude. So rude. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, we, we came back for uh, the online version uh, yeah. festival the next year and then came back uh, to Manchester Met in 2022. Yeah, 22. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I've tried to write down all the stuff that that's, I've done because of stuff I've seen at Lilac and it's too much. Where possible, I do contact people and say, your session made me do this because I think that I've had emails like that myself and it makes you just feel so good <laughs> um, and it makes you really realise the value of your own work. And it also makes you reflect on your work and make changes. You know, it's, it's always better to get feedback than not. I think my lilac story is really one of professional growth, change, inspiration, making friends. And I'm still on the committee seven years later. The committee itself have, have, have always been incredibly supportive. Group of people I've met, my mentors through there. I've met some people who are very, very high up in the world of libraries and realised they're not that intimidating, actually. They're just people and found friendship and found collaboration opportunities there as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's. It, my, mine's a very different experience because obviously I've been on the committee, but I think the, the themes that come out through my lilac story are reflected in what I'm learning from others. That's fascinating. It's so clear how passionate you are when you speak about it. <laughs> and I must admit, to, to go into my lilac story a little bit, um, just to be a little bit meta, this podcast came out of lilac in a way. We had the idea of doing a podcast, but it wasn't until Jane Secker said, we want to do this podcast thing at lilac that we were like, oh, <laughs> got to get, get this started. That led to us at Lilac having a little stand with our little recorders. And I had been to Lilac before for one day at Manchester Met. And I had been to festival actually as well. So I, I think of Cambridge as my first 
experience with lilac I don't know why I do because I had technically been twice but it was my first full weekend and I think because we were also involved in that way of like we had this little kind of stand where we were recording people's lilac experiences for the podcast for the episodes that uh, you can find in our backlog it pushed us I think to be a bit more out there I think in a way that I maybe wasn't quite so much in that first one I don't think in the first in-person one I did as much interaction as I I really maybe should have or or, or if I did didn't quite come out of my shell in the way that I I think would have been beneficial whereas at this one I felt like maybe because of the additional push of the, mm-hmm. the podcast recording um, you've got a prop it, haven't you it is it's just yeah. having something in your hand sometimes is useful yeah. and having an excuse it really does and you know a lot of our episodes of, of this podcast have come from contacts we made at Lilac I mean most of the episodes so far have been uh, from people we've spoken to at Lilac who we've then gone on to you know talk to as part of this it really has made a huge difference and for me personally as well like Lilac came at a very strange time in my life and it really was a nice anchor point for me. I found it really just a really fun weekend Mm. (laughs) that I needed to like also cement my feeling as a librarian to some extent. Mm -hmm. It really helped to be around people who love what they do and I think a lot of librarians do I really Mm -hmm. believe they do that environment really helped me so yeah I think my lilac story is a very positive one and I will fill in that form at some point to (laughs) to be part of it (laughs) because I realize I have a lot more to say than I even think I do you know (laughs) but that's the point of research is that you're often asking the questions that people don't think about and because why would you otherwise they'd just be talking about it incessantly and the point of research in, in this way is to draw out those stories. And that's why I've called it Lilac Stories rather than the Lilac Impact Project or something like that, because I don't want to just talk about the impact. I want to see it as a story. This is part of somebody's journey and it's part of somebody's narrative and where they place themselves and how they see themselves as a professional. Um, and like you've said, that that feeling of that cementing of this is who I am, this is where I belong. It happened for me as well. but. I want to show that that isn't the only thing that Lilac does. You know, it's not just a party. It's about the stuff you learn and the connections you make and the progress that it that, that it makes. So, you know, you, you talked about connections in this podcast, how this podcast can again go on to inspire people or what this podcast, being on this podcast and, and, and producing this will do for you within your career. You know, that's the longer impact that I'm interested in, which all stemmed from Jane Sacker saying to you, oh, by the way, you're doing this now. That's what I want to show. It's not just about you. It's not just about having a good time. It's about you doing something with what you've learned and what that impact has had on you professionally but also the wider profession yeah, as well that kind of ripple effect outwards yes really, exactly yeah um so if anyone wants to be involved in the oh. lilac stories project um where, where can they get do. involved if you go to lilac i'm just going to check the website lilacconference.com and on that website there is a tab saying lilac stories so the full website is lilacconference.com forward slash lilac M stories on that web page. There is a link to the form for contributions. You can also put your email address there if you'd like to be interviewed. Um, and I will contact you through my own personal email. My email address is on there as well. Some information about our ethics and our data storage. And I can send you participant information sheets and everything as well, if you wish. So yeah, go to lilacconference.com and look at the Lilac Stories tab. I have one sort of final question that we ask our guests 
is if you were putting together a definitive information <laughs> reading list, what item would you add to it? It could oh be a book, it could gosh. be anything. Well, obviously, it would be my very own tome. Well, you've got well. to. You have to. That's, that's going on there already. Don't you worry. That'll go on the list. Um, I've got so many. So when you sent me these questions, I was like, oh, gosh, I don't know. Because there's so many things that have inspired me. And I was trying to think of like one thing and I really couldn't. So instead, I'm going to say a few names. Is that all okay. right? That's allowed. To. Um, OK. Eamon Toole and Emily Drabinsky, they do a lot of stuff on critical information literacy. And Eamontal's written a really good beginner's guide to piece on that. I find his writing really clear. Nicole Cook is a librarian um, from South Carolina who um, focuses on um, critical information studies in libraries, but it's social justice themed. She wrote a piece called Becoming an Andragogical Librarian, Using Library Instruction as a Tool to Combat Library Anxiety and Empower Adult Learners. Um, my work at University of Huddersfield, I was an um, education librarian and most of my um, learners were mature learners coming back to the classroom for a long break. And I found that um, piece from 2010 incredibly inspiring. The book that inspired mine and Elizabeth's book, Critical Library Instruction, um, Critical Library Pedagogy, Volume 1 and 2, um, which was published by Pagowski and McElroy in 2016. I reviewed it for Information Professional or whatever it was called back then. And that, again, just sparked everything off for me. So, yes, I have lots. I, I cannot do Desert Island Discs. I'm sorry. I'm rubbish at that. that that's OK. You're definitely not the first who said, no, I can't do one. Got to do multiples. We will, um, we will add all those to the list. I, if, if you are looking for more inspiration with this, my PGCE, I did a blog post um, on that. If you go to jesterteaching.wordpress.com, um, that was my blog that I did for my PGCE. It's got all my reflective work on it. And um, I've got a bibliography there of everything that I included within my PGCE portfolio. However, that was from 2017. So it's a little bit dated now, um, but it's got loads of good stuff there as well. That's, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. Those, those, are, those are great. And I'm going to look up some of those myself, actually, because I think that will impact on my practice.